0: You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Well, my name is Ben Hurt, and I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. Uh, and I'm so glad that you've came, and we would like to know who's here, and we'd also know, like to know how can we pray for you. You can do that by filling out the friendship register that's located on the far left-hand side of your row. So if you're sitting on the far left-hand side, we'd love for you to get that started. Well, aren't you grateful for Micah and the worship team? You know, the thing that I appreciate most about Micah is it's not his voice, although God has surely gifted him. It's not how great the band sound. It's the fact that every week uh, we go vertical. Uh, and I'm convinced that Micah loves the Lord, and the thing that he cares most about is God's glory. Amen. Well, I've missed Trent, right? We've all missed Trent, but hasn't he done a great job of filling the pulpit with guys who, who love the Lord and are bringing strong messages for us to hear? I've been very encouraged. Well, he's here today, but he, we've still got him another week off, so be praying for him as he, as he seeks the Lord and, and, and prays for what is next for us, for harvest. So keep praying for him. Well, today we are going to be looking at the book of Philippians, so open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. I think it's clear for all of us, as we look at the world around us, there's disunity everywhere, right? Uh, This this military coup that happened in Turkey, uh, the Middle East, and all the people who are fleeing away uh, for for their lives. Uh, But not only around the world, but also here in our own country. Uh, Over the last several weeks, it's just very clear that racism is still a major issue in our country. And police officers are in danger of protecting uh, the very ones who are killing them. Uh, the, the marriages that are broken, the divorce that's running rampant in our country, uh, the, the downfall of the family, and has there ever been a more disunity in the political realm? Not in my lifetime. So disunity is everywhere, but one place that we can't afford to lose unity, it's in the church. And I believe God established a church to be the mouthpiece of Christ for us to go forth and proclaim the good news of jesus and we need to be unified and so this morning i want to take us to uh, to look at a call to unity so follow along as i read philippians 2 verses 1 through 11. so if there is any encouragement in christ any comfort from love any participation in the spirit any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love being in full accord and of one mind The Father. So here's the big idea that I want to communicate today. Unity happens when we allow the humility of Christ to humble us. If we're going to stay unified as a church, we need to look at the humility of Christ and let it humble us. So before we get into the passage this morning, I think it'd be helpful to to look at the background of Philippians to have a better understanding of what we're going at today. So this was written by Paul. Uh, Paul was in prison because of the fact that he was proclaiming the gospel. And it was written to a Roman colony at Philippi. Uh, This was a a young church, but a very strong church. And we see early on Paul's deep affection for the believers there. And it's clear that God is working in the lives of this church. Uh, Nonetheless, there is concern for unity. And one of the things that's threatening unity is fear. As you see Paul wanting to encourage the Philippians who are watching Paul in prison, and they're they're afraid as they look to see, you know, even the fact that they're befriending Paul and going to visit him, they're putting the fact that people are going to come and trash their house if if they identify with Paul. But if if fear gets in the way, he knows that unity is going to be broken, and so we need a call to unity. And as we look at verse 1, uh, he gives us reason to be uni- to be unified, reason for unity. So go ahead and look at verse one again, and we see four things uh, that for us to to be motivated to pursue unity. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, first off, you see that word. So he's referring back to. Chapter 1, verse 27, it says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So Paul is concerned not only with their own personal quality of relationship with God, but he's concerned about how is that living out in community? How are they being unified because of that fact? So when we look at the statement of if these things are true, it's not like an if-then statement like we give our kids. You know, if, if you eat all of your dinner, then you can have dessert, right? The, the then part is dependent on whether or not the first part happens. No, he's saying these things uh, as if they are true because he knows for every believer we've experienced these four things. And so as we go through these, I, I want you to recount even in your own life how, how you've experienced these uh, if you are a believer in Christ. So the first one we see there, if there is any encouragement in Christ. We've all experienced that, right? If we're believers in Christ. Many of you are here because of the fact that somebody invited you here. Somebody shared the good news of Jesus and you responded in faith. Uh, We receive that encouragement from Christ. Uh, In fact, the the Greek word for encouragement is very similar for the Greek word for Holy Spirit. Uh, The Spirit comes alongside and encourages us. And when we're, when we're down, we go to our brothers and sisters, and we're encouraged. Any comfort from love. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I, I look at my life in light of Christ, I'm just unlovable. There's just nothing to be impressed with. If, if you were to put my life up on the screen, even from this last week, I would be embarrassed. Uh, but God came down in mercy and rescued us uh, despite the fact of, that we're sinful. Uh, we receive comfort From love, because God looks down and says, It's not because of your good works that I saved you. It's because of my mercy for you. That comforts us. Any participation in the Spirit? Have you had times where you're just really struggling, you're sharing a burden with someone, and and they have the the perfect thing to say? They pull out the scripture that just hits your heart right where you're at. Or or you come to worship and you're struggling, and, and the lyrics that you're singing, the songs that you're singing, are exactly what you need, I'm reminded of a time uh, when we were singing, uh, "How firm a foundation!" In that verse, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee; I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And when we were singing this this particular time. There's a lot of trials. In my life, but I began to weep as I began to see the fact that God had used those trials and those hard times in my life to lead me to worship because I was seeing him refining me to make him like himself. We've received participation in the Spirit. I I could name countless times where I grab a devotional, you know, the ones that you haven't read for six months and you go open it and the day that you read it, it hits you in a way that uh, you can only point to the Spirit and say, that was God who led me there. You see, as we look at these things, it's really a call to worship, to recall all the ways that God has blessed your life. And Paul wants their affections to be stirred in order to lead them to unity. The last one there, affection and sympathy. So it's an interesting picture here because the Greek word actually for affection is bowels. So when you go to bed tonight, you can lean over to your spouse and say, I love you from the bottom of my bowels, right? (laughs) What's it getting after there? He's getting at the fact that deep down inside, there's this affection for God that comes up when, in light of his mercy. Uh, we've all experienced that as Christians deep down inside. right? The fact that I shared about that, that hymn that really struck me, just even this morning. I've been through two, two times now, the worship, and even the third time, once again, I'm just affected by God's great love for me. So I do want him to lead me to the end of myself because there's so much greater in God. So you see that we have great motive to pursue unity with one another. But he also gives us one more. Take a look there in verse 2. This is the fifth thing that he gives us. Complete my joy. Listen, it's a legit goal to want to bless your leaders. It's a legit goal to pursue that. Take a look at these scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. We ask you, brothers... To respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for what would be of no, for that would be of no advantage to you. Can I just take a minute to just, to just thank you? Like, you guys are an example of this verse. So, in, in essence, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir right now because I, I do have joy serving this church. It is not a burden for me to come in and serve you guys. And so, thank you for your faithfulness. I, I'm convinced that our pastors, each of them, would come up and would say the same thing to you. So, thank you for the joy that you give us to serve you. But it's a legit goal to do that listen we we love and we delight when we hear individual lives that are being affected by the gospel lives that are changing but you know what brings us all the more joy is when we see that being lived out in community when we see unity happening. it's a whole new level of joy that we experience when we do that it's why i'm so grateful to be the small group pastor here I can name story after story of the fact that we 're oftentimes the fifth, sixth, seventh people to hear about somebody in the hospital, and by the time it gets to, by the time we arrive on the scene, the small group is already there surrounding uh, within the last year or so, there was a, a man in this church who was in debbie and Alani and debbie Mullen's small group, and he had a heart attack at work and by the time we got there he, they, as well as the rest of the group, had surrounded them and loved them and were there on the scenes, almost to the fact that, hey, we're glad you're here, but we got this. Listen, there's, what, seven of us now on staff? There's no way we can reach 1,500 people, so thank you. Thank you for the example that you are and for the, for the joy that you are. So let the motive of the fact that it's going to bless us lead you to unity, right? So it's very clear here. Paul wants... He knows these things are true, and he wants to remind them. He wants to to motivate them in order to be in unity. If we're going to grow the kingdom of God, we need to be unified. So what exactly does unity look like? Let's look at the result of unity in verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. So we see four ways of what unity looks like. So the first thing we see there is having the same mind. Well, what do we do with our minds? We think, right? So what, what, what kind of things do we think about? Do we think about Notre Dame? That's a good thing to be united about, right? I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, he tells us actually right in this book, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's why he gave us this book. We don't have to come up with things to be unified. He wants us to be unified in what his word says. Do you believe, are you convinced that this is, this is more costly than gold? This is sweeter than honey. He's given us our, this words for us to dive in together, to wrestle through it. What does it say to us? How can we grow together through this? And this unites us as we become united in what God's word says. It's the reason why we have a mission statement. It's the reason why we have a doctrinal statement. Why? Because we look at the scriptures and say, you know what? These things are non-negotiable. We're not bending all these things. This is going to help drive what we do here. It's why we have membership. Do you think we have membership in order to boost up our numbers to say, ha, look at how many members we have? No. It's It's a way for us to bind together and say we are together. We are linking arms and we are going hand in hand, walking together in unity. If, if you have some serious uh, bones to deal with the scriptures and the things that we hold to, you don't believe the same way we do, let me just encourage you to find a place where you can be united to believers who are like-minded, because we are after the same thing. We are of one mind. The second thing there, we're called to have the same love. And doesn't the fact when we are thinking on the same things, when God's word is central in our lives, doesn't love kind of flow from that? Like, Because we're excited, we come together, What we, we, we're worshiping God together, we're unified, we're, we're, we're loving each other. We have the same love, and love flows out of thinking the same things. This is not about preference or attraction, right? We don't pick our love based on, you know, I like you, I just like hanging out with you, you're a lot of fun. You, not so much, so I don't really love you, but I love this guy. Work on it and I'll love you later. No, right? It's a, it's a choice of the will, it's a, it's a, we choose to love one another. It's why so many marriages fall apart, because we quote-unquote fall out of love. It's a choice, and we're going to do life together. Are we going to sin against each other? Yeah, we will. Sadly, I'm sure if it hasn't happened already, it, it might happen where you're going to be offended by one of the pastors on the staff. We don't like that, but what we do is say we're going we're to be intentional. We're not going to let inconsequential, inconsequential differences divide us. We're going to come together, have the same love and choose the same, to choose to love each other because we know when we look at Christ, uh, we're humbled by that and unified through that. We're to, have, we're to be of one accord, one soul, this is to, to live in harmony with fellow believers. Uh, how many of you guys are Olympic fans? You guys excited about the Olympics coming up in the beginning of August? Our family loves it. We love it. In fact, we, uh, the trials were on a few weeks ago for the U.S trials and Uh, We were watching, and they had diving and uh, track. But my eye caught something very interesting. Have you ever seen synchronized diving? First of all, I find it amazing that one person can jump and do a bunch of flips and then go vertical into the water. That blows my mind. I can't even jump straight up and go straight in and make it look good. (laughs) So to do that with somebody else next to you, side by side, jumping and doing that, that's amazing. Isn't that a great picture of the church and what we're called to do? Or have you ever seen synchronized swimming? That's a whole new deal. you got multiple people. you got music playing. They're under the water. There's no way they can hear the music, and somehow they stay in complete unison. Now tell me something. Do those people, does that happen after the first practice? The time to do it? That takes hours and hours and hours of practice, right? Just like if we're going to grow and be unified, it's not going to take one time together as a small group or coming together on one Sunday out of the month. When we come together, we are in each other's lives, we're building up one another. Why? Because we're called to be of one accord, chasing after the same things. It, it reminds me of, of my son in, in playing baseball. So he's seven years old. You guys ever watch seven-year-olds play baseball? <laughs> like the catcher's equipment is twice the size as they are. They never catch the ball. So if you've watched baseball, you know you got the pitcher. Well, this is a pitch machine, so you know a pitching machine goes straight, right? So it always straight way. And you watch the catchers and they have no idea what's going on. So on our team, we had this one kid when he would catch. So the ball, let's say the ball comes right this way, the catcher would literally stand two steps to the left and he would it'd go right by him. He'd get it, he'd throw it back, he'd come to the same place, the ball goes right there. So it's very entertaining to watch. But it's also fun to watch them learn the game. So I don't know if you know baseball, but it's a, it's a complicated sport. Uh, there are so many rules that go on. One thing is true at this time, but then the next play, uh, it's not true anymore. I mean, there's just so much to understand. And to watch my son learn the game and to watch the guys on their team come together, they were a complete different team at the beginning of the season than they were at the end. In fact, my, my son made it, uh, his team made it all the way to the championship. There's two problems that they faced though. First of all, the tournament was double elimination, so you lose two games and you're out, and they had already lost a game, so they had to fight through the loser's bracket to come to the championship series. The other problem was is that the team that they were playing was undefeated, so they had to beat them twice, but this team had lost all year. I and mean, they were destroying everybody. They beat us by 15 runs when they played in the regular season, so it's your classic David versus Goliath, and I'm just like, you know what, they had a good season, they made it this far, there's just absolutely no way they're gonna defeat this team. But wouldn't you know, the first game, they come together and they end up winning. It was, whoa! Nonetheless, I'm like, they're too good. I mean, these kids threw better than me. <laughs> they, they hit the ball further than I could hit it. So I'm like, okay, they're gonna lose this last game. But it, it was sad to see the other team just kind of unravel. Uh, the coaches were yelling at the kids and the kids were crying. This is the first game this team had lost all year. And as you can imagine, my son's team ended up winning that. Right? Isn't that a picture of the church? They came together. The same goal. That's a picture of unity. We're going after the same thing to win. We're going to encourage each other when we're down. Right? If you make an air, we're going to encourage And It was fun to watch them encourage each other. They struck out. Good try. They were coming together. But would it work if the guy in the outfield decided when the ball was hit to him, he, he, he wanted to play some soccer? and So he starts kicking the ball around? Or the first baseman, when they try to throw him out at first and he takes his glove and starts playing tennis and just bats that ball around? Is that Are they gonna get anywhere? No, but they stayed focused. They were unified. They were were together. They knew what they wanted to achieve. And I think that's such a great picture of the church. So Paul has talked about reasons for unity. This should motivate us to be unified. He's given us a picture of what it looks like, but we really haven't asked the most important question, have we? How? How do we become unified? So let's look at the road to unity. And this starts in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So first of all, it starts with humbling ourselves. What does humility look like? Is it beating myself up and just telling me how pathetic I am and I can't do anything right? Is that humility? No, humility isn't thinking less of yourselves. Rather, humility is thinking of yourselves less. Don't spend so much time thinking about yourselves. It's not about bashing yourself and telling, you how, how, telling other people how pathetic, it's just about don't think of yourself. So I, had, uh, I coined this phrase uh, when I got out of high school, the church I was in, into the college, there was like nobody in the college but several just out of college. So I was the young guy and I coined the phrase with them, I'm the best at being humble. Um, but I'm gonna share a story with you that's gonna make it very obvious that I'm not the best at being humble as if you already needed to be convinced of that. So my wife and I, we've been blessed with five kids, and my oldest daughter, Reese, she's 10, and I can remember the day that she was born. And I can remember this excitement that led up to that day of your your first child. Of course, there's nerves and excitement. Um, In fact, I was more nervous than my wife because the doctor asked me if I was okay and not my wife. But nevertheless, uh, she came into the world, and I don't know about you guys, but I loved that time in the hospital. Just a couple days of just the three of us. I'm not thinking about work. I have no other distractions. I mean, I love my four other kids the same, but it's, it's different, right? It's just special, and that was such a sweet time of us just growing to love that baby. So it was somewhat bittersweet to go home, but, you know, as we got in the car, driving, it's just a new excitement of we're starting our life together. We're going to the home uh, where we painted the baby's room. Her crib was all set to go and we were just ready to welcome that baby into our, our home. And I remember driving up and parking and getting out and going in the car, and I'm just, just in awe, like, man, what an amazing thing that we have this baby to welcome home. But then I get a phone call, and, and it's my wife who I had left out in the car with our baby. So selfish ambition and conceit, it's about being about your own agenda. I was so consumed with my joy, my happiness in the Lord and what he had did for me that I had left the wife who had just given birth to a baby and I left the baby out in the car. So insensitive of me, so selfish, so not humble, right? Sadly, there are so many other ways I I could express my pride. But what, what was I missing? In humility, I wasn't considering them more significant than myself. I would have thought helping my wife in. She just had a baby. <laughs> Guys, we have no understanding what that's like. I'm glad, but we got to have compassion. I, I should have been all over that, helping her in, taking the baby in. But I was consumed about myself, my own agenda. I want to do my thing. I want to think, how does this affect me? I was basking in that glory rather than looking to serve my family. We're called to humble ourselves. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. See, Paul knows that we're going to be looking out for our own interests. And to a certain extent, that's not wrong. But what he wants us to do is put that much energy in our own interests into others' interests. Be pouring into them. Be thinking of my family. We're called to humble ourselves. But you know what? Being humble for humility's sake Without Christ in that picture, it is is going to lead to failure. We cannot look at humility apart from looking at Christ. That's why unity happens when we look when we allow the humility of Christ to humble us. I'm not the pull up your bootstrap kind of guy. Like I just I'm terrible at that of depending on myself, which is why I'm so glad Paul didn't stop here. Because if he would have stopped here and just be humble, just think of others, that I, I would be lost. But he gives us the picture of Christ. Verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So we're called to be humble. Humility happens when we look at Christ. Now, was, was, was Christ, was Jesus God? He absolutely was, 100% God. But what does he say here? He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. I don't know about you, but if, if I get the title boss or leader or something like that, I'm, I'm just tempted to, hey, you better come under my authority, right? But he humbled himself and, and, and considered himself less than God, even though he was completely equal with God. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So he came to earth. Not only was he fully God, but he was fully man. Don't, don't be confused there when it says the form of a servant. No, he came as a servant. But he didn't come as the, as the Jews thought. What were the Jews waiting for? They were waiting for a king. All right? They wanted somebody to come with a scepter and a sword, and they wanted him to wipe out the Romans. But he came as a baby. He came to serve us. The one who deserved to be served and worship above all else put himself under as a servant. And being found, in, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. All right, I, want, I want you to think about this. All right, we all, for, for believers, we have kind of a picture of heaven right? We long for it. We see how broken the world is, and so we just have this picture of heaven. We just can't wait to get there because we read in scripture that there's no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, and we, man, we want to be there. So imagine if you're in heaven, you're chilling out up there with all the apostles and angels, and then God calls you up and says, yo, it's time for you to go, all right? Go to, he- go to earth. How many of you are going to be signing up for that gig? Not me, but yet that's what Jesus did. And he knew what he was going to do. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So even if he would have come and like John the Baptist, like head chopped off, wouldn't we be still affected by that? We would be, we would still be humbled by what by he didn't do with that. But how did he die? Even death on a cross. So if you know anything about the Bible times at that point, crucifixion was the most vilest, worst punishment left for the cruelest and, and the worst people in that time. And Jesus took that. I can't help when I read, I can't help but go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Gospels and, and all the stories that we hear of, of Jesus and what he went through. And it all started in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, he was, went out there with some of his disciples to pray. And so he tells, hey guys, pray, I'm going off by myself. And he's just in anguish. He knows what's coming. He knows what awaits him. And then he comes back to his disciples, and what, is, what, are, what are his disciples doing? They're sleeping. Wake up! You have no idea what's going on. If you did, you would be praying like Crazy. And he goes off again and prays, and his anguish is so strong that he's literally, he's really sweating drops of blood. Isn't it true that sometimes anticipation is just as bad as the experience? I can't imagine the anticipation. And to make things worse, here comes comes one of the disciples with, with a mob of soldiers. A guy that he had spent so much time pouring into, Judas. He loved Judas. And he knew the whole time what he was about to do. And he gives him a kiss. But not only Judas abandoned him, but the other disciples fled as well. In fact, we read about Peter denying him three times. Think about that. All of your friends deserting you. And you know, some of you may be there. Maybe you're sitting here today and you have no friends. Let me just tell you, Jesus knows exactly how you feel. So they, the soldiers haul him off, and they, and they mock him, and they beat him, and they take a whip with, with sharp objects attached to it and, and slap it across his back and then rip it off as his flesh is torn from his body. They take a crown of thorns and they jam it onto his head, piercing his skull. And as the blood is dripping from his back, they put on a robe, and as the robe, robe dry, the blood dries on the robe, they rip it off again, opening those wounds all the more. I can't imagine the excruciating pain that he went through. Not only that, but after doing all this, they make him carry his own cross up to the hill of Golgotha, and they put the cross together normally what they would do is they would tie their arms and feet, but no, that wasn't good enough for Jesus. they take nails and drive them into his hands and in his feet. And as they, as they lift him up and he drops into the ground, his body shakes and he screams in pain. I can't imagine in the And the soldiers are there in front of him casting lots for his clothes, mocking him. And he has the nerve. Jesus has the nerve to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And we get peeved for hours when somebody cuts us off in traffic, don't we? It's crazy what we do, and yet Jesus did this. And even despite all of those things, the physical torture, the His disciples abandoning him. The soldiers mocking him. It doesn't compare to what comes next. Because suddenly, Jesus starts feeling something that he had never felt before. You see, up until that point, there was perfect unity between Jesus, the Son, and God, the Father. Perfect unity. That was all gone. And Jesus began to feel I can imagine he felt dirty as God the Father placed all of the sins on the world onto him. I think it's easy for us to think about that and yeah, Jesus died for all the sins of the world, but do we make it personal? Do we we realize our sins that we committed last night were, were placed on him? The fact that the times that I come home from work and I'm just about my own agenda. I just want to sit down and watch TV because I've earned the right. I've served the church well. How arrogant of me to think that. I'm too tired to play for my kids. Or the times that I neglect my wife because I'm worried about myself. Just think about the list of sins that you have that goes on and on and on. And God is declaring that to be true of Jesus as if he committed them himself. I think John Piper is exactly right when he says this. We will never stand in awe of being loved by God until we reckon with the seriousness of our sin and the justice of his wrath against us. So let, let me pull us back to the passage. Because he didn't stop there, right? If he stopped at the cross, brutally beaten and murdered for, because of our sin, that would, that's a pretty depress, depressing place to be, right? Right? But Paul doesn't just give us this reference of Christ for us to look at him as an example. You know, the, the the fad of WWJD, what would Jesus do? Okay, yeah, we should follow what Jesus did. But if we look at this as just an example of to copy, okay, I want to do what Jesus did. Let me, instead, and we don't take the time to ponder what happened on the cross, then we will, we will never stand in awe of him. And listen, when we ponder the truth of the cross, and what led Jesus to die. Doesn't that lead us to humility, humbleness? So how can we, in light of what Jesus did for us, hold something against a brother or sister? Our sins against Christ are far worse than anybody else's sins against us, including our spouses. I know many of you here, you have have been sinned against in horrendous ways. And I, I, can only, um, I can't even imagine what that must be like. But, but let me just say that Jesus was perfect in every way. He bore the price that was ours. Because of our sin that separated us from God, he came and did that. But Paul doesn't stop there, right? Is Jesus risen? That's why we celebrate. We celebrate the cross, but we also celebrate that he risen. I love this passage because it's, it's almost like Paul gets so caught up in what Jesus did that it leads him to worship. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we allow the humility of Christ to humble us, it brings us to unity, because we all realize that none of us comes here with a better resume than anyone else. Right? Our resumes are stained with the blood of Christ. Amen? I know these are heavy truths. And surely, Paul does not want you to hang out there. He wants you to rejoice. He wants you to to look at Christ and realize that he died for your sin. He came because he knew you couldn't do it by yourself. You couldn't do it at all. We were all dead and he made us alive if we respond to repentance and faith. So, What's keeping you from unity this morning? For some of you, you need to repent. You have not been unified with Christ, and therefore, you struggle to have unity with anybody. And so let me invite you, if, if for the first time this morning, your eyes are, you see the truth of the gospel and what Jesus did for you, and you're humbled and crushed by your sins Let me just encourage you to to come find freedom in Christ. And we we would love to help you. The elders and the pastors will be up front afterwards. But there's hope for you. Jesus came to die because he knows how pathetic you are. And guess what? Everybody else here in the room is just as pathetic as you. Again, let that lead you to praise because we don't have to measure up to anything. There's nothing to measure up to. Some of you are believers but you've kind of allowed sin to not be such a big deal. Ah, eh, you know, it's not such a big deal. Uh, or, you know, it's not as bad as so-and-so. It's not worthy to put me in jail. But listen, even the smallest of sins was enough to put Christ on the cross. So let me encourage you to repent. Turn away from that. Again, the scripture says, confess your sins one another, that you may be healed. So come confess if, if you need to do that. But repent. Some of us need a restoration you know, in light of the humility of Christ that humbles us and leads us to unity, some of us don't have unity because of the fact that we're holding sin against somebody else. And you need to go and forgive them. And remember, this, the sins that we have committed against Christ is far worse than any sin anybody's committed, uh, committed against us. And remember, forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay what they did, right? And it doesn't mean that relationship is just going to be happy. But it's a conscious choice that I'm not going to use that sin against me. Why? Because Christ does not use our sins against us. So how can we do that? That keeps us from being unified. But then what you need to do is we need to rest in the truth of the gospel. So don't let the fact that you need to repent lead you to condemnation. What does Romans 8.1 say? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None whatsoever. Feel the weight of that. Not There's not as much. No, there's no condemnation. Rest in that. Guess what? Martin Luther said the Christian life is a life of repentance. We're going to be repenting for the rest of our lives. But guess what? Our standing before God is true today just as it was the day we were saved. The worst days that we have in our life, filled with the most sin, were just as justified, just as right with God then as we were when we were saved. And the same is true with our best days. God looks at us the same. When God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And that means he he sees your brother and sister and your wife and husband the same way. But rest in that. And for all of us, we need to remember. Remember these truths. Remember the gospel. Jerry Bridges says, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Why do we need that? Because every day, I don't know about you, I forget all right, I've, I can be in the Word, and I have so many times like this where I'm responding in worship. Oh, I'm in tears, I'm singing, I'm singing in my car and somebody cuts me off and it completely throws the rest of the day off. <laughs> right? And I need to keep going back. There's grace, there's grace. Listen, most mornings, a lot of mornings, I wake up and I'm just thinking about the ways I failed the night before. Or the thing I have to face and anxiety comes because I'm not trusting in the Lord. But then I just need to remember the Gospel, what it says for us. Jesus measured up so that we don't have to. He calls us to holiness, but we've, we're justified in, in Christ. And lastly, let's respond in resounding praise. We have so much to be grateful for as Christians. He came and died for us apart from our good works. You know, I, I've listened to, to Christian radio, and sometimes it just drives me crazy because Uh, There's one song in particular where it just kind of talks about, like, God saw me and saw potential in me. Come on. All we were like sheep, gone astray. Each of us had gone our own ways. And he rescued us nonetheless. Don't carry the weight of your sin. Let it lead you to Christ. Remember, humility Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Turn your gaze to the cross, turn your gaze to the fact that he's risen and he lives for us. He paid the price for us. Let it lead you to resounding praise. Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray and I just want us to sing in light of these wonderful truths. Lord, we we are unworthy of grace and yet you gave the ultimate price. You gave your son on our behalf. Not because you saw potential in us, no. There was nothing in us that attracted us to you except for the fact that your great love. And so, Lord, as as we've pondered the cross and what it was like, and as we look at our lives in ways that we are causing disunity in our families and, and, and in the church, Lord, God, help us to allow the humility of Christ to humble us in order for us to be united to advance your kingdom. Lord, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.